Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you, or maybe your company, or someone in your network that you know may want to reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie at mission.org and let's chat. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. What is the best strategy to ensure the best customer experience? I asked Michael Baer, the SVP of customer experience at Figs, that question. And on this episode, he shares his experiences and strategies to ensure that the customers receive exceptional experiences every time they shop with Figs. With an extensive background in sales and customer experience spanning 18 years, Michael is the perfect guy to share his process at Figs and how his strategies allow customers to be heard and valued while also never letting customer feedback go to waste. Also tune in to hear about his internal newsletter, which I found really interesting, and a bit of career advice when it comes to how to be seen and heard in any organization. Enjoy today's episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. So today I just want to jump right into it and really give value within the first couple minutes if you're ready and prepared. Okay, let's do it. So I want to ask you, I know you've been at Figs for two years now. And prior to that, you were in a lot of sales roles. So I know you have a metrics, probably quantitative mindset. And I want to hear from you. If you were to get into any new org or you have your own company, how would you go about auditing the company to see if you have a good customer experience? Or what would you do as like first steps to see like, are things working? Probably the best metric to tell you that is your retention rate or your repeat order rate. If customers love your product and they love the experience that they're having, those two things should lead to customers either continuing with your subscription or buying the product again and again. Price second to that is like referral rate. Like you should be able to generate a lot of word of mouth from customers who just like are so passionate and loyal to your brand or to your product that they want other people to experience it as well. Those are probably like the two two things that I would I would really try to dive in on day one and like 
every organization that I've ever talked to. I think that's usually like a, a tell sign of like how successful is the business? How, how much how much do they get from repeat business? Yeah. Okay. I love that. Retention and referral rate. So when you came into FIGS, what did it look like? Because from the outside, I see that company and I'm like, they blew up every nurse I know. <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's the term that people use for the clothing, whether it's the brand or not. It's just like, that's like a new term. So what did it look like when you joined? And did you think things were going well or like, where did you want to improve it? Yeah. I mean, um, I came into a really good situation. I joined um, one month into the pandemic in, in 2020. Um, and, you know, it was a kind of funny time. If you remember back then, that was when like people were washing their groceries and like you're wearing, you putting hand sanitizer on everything. Um, and there, there was a little bit of like, you know, people not knowing what to do with their clothes. And so like, you know, everyone was wearing like multiple sets of scrubs that day as well. And so our business was really taking off then. We had a lot of success with um, acquiring customers and obviously providing them a great experience and a great product and having them come back and, and want to try like a new color or a new style or one of our lifestyle products or a pair of shoes. That was a really encouraging sign um, because if you're constantly having to go out and acquire new customers to grow the business and grow your revenue, that's going to be, that's going to be pretty challenging. Mm-hmm. What were some of the ways that you all were acquiring customers successfully, maybe pre-pandemic? Because during the pandemic, it's like, of course, we need to find exactly what we need for this situation. But before that, were there certain methods that were proving successful? Yeah, I think like most like digitally native um, direct consumer companies, like we were using Facebook, um, Instagram, Google, like all of the traditional ones. Those were like, you know, how you introduced the company to customers. But from that point forward, you know, we really want to rely on our channels, like email marketing, SMS marketing, um, obviously like great customer experience to get that customer to come back. And I think like the things that really was exciting for me when I first joined and continues to be really exciting is just like how excited customers get for our new color launches. Like we we release limited edition colors roughly every two weeks and they sell out very quickly. And when I joined, there were moments where we would sell out before I would even wake up on the West Coast, um, which was like so odd to me, um, having never worked in a, in a product that had that model. One of the first realizations I had that I was at somewhere special was like the hardest customer interaction we had were customers that were upset that we were sold out. And I was like, wow, like what uh, what a world to be in where like the the toughest thing is like not having what people want. But um, there's like two sides of that. It's 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 medical apparel. Um, they have to wear them for their job. It's a uniform. It's really, really important that we have it in stock. But also just like really exciting that you know customers would would be that passionate about like or what our new product or new style or new color was. Yeah. So were you a little bit nervous coming into this company, seeing everything going really well and hoping that you wouldn't come in and maybe break something? <laughs> yeah, I think like part of it. Part of it was like I've, I'd worked in customer experience my whole career. I knew there were some some aspects of like my specific vision and and style that that we didn't have, um, particularly around like how you build a, a unique culture within the customer experience team, um, how you develop future leaders in the business. Yeah, there were just some, like some organizational like you know I've always like kind of considered myself a little bit of like an, in love with the HR and people space too because I really do really care about like people development and career development. And so there are pieces like that, that I was really excited to like introduce to our team and, and hopefully like develop. Um, but yeah, I was definitely like, I, you know, I want to try to ride the wave of the successful things that already existed. It was also just like a really different business. Like when I, when I was interviewing for figs, I think our CX team had like 10 people. And today, you know, we have 80, 90 total people that work on our customer experience team and sales team. So 
it's just like a very different, different business than when I first joined as well. Yeah, that's huge growth from an employee headcount perspective. Okay, so I do want to dive into the team building and how to build a high performing team. What does that look like? I mean, especially the time that you join, that's a very tricky time to start thinking about how do I optimize and build a really great team in a pretty uncertain time. Yeah. What did that look like? The two things that, that I've always kind of carried through all of my roles is were things that I learned in my first sales role. So right out of college, I spent the first seven and a half years in, in financial sales. I worked for a bank that everyone will have heard of. And one of the really odd things was, and this was like, this will probably like date me too, but like there was no like instant messaging, there was no Slack. So like everything was over email. And like one of the big like cultural things that we had was like a daily email that went out to the whole department. And it celebrated like who had the best day the prior day. And it was like a lot of like conversion rate stuff and, um, you know, top average sale. It was like a cultural thing that everyone replied all. So if you did not like the reply all, this would be like the, your nightmare. Oh, no. That's like most people I know don't like the reply all anymore. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this was also like, you know, 15 years ago, maybe when it was a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Back then when people were excited to get that email. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was like, you know, 150 people, you know, kind of celebrating and, and cheering on the people who did really well. Um, it was very like, it was very like. Obviously, it's like a very like sales um, oriented, but I, but it it really developed culture, developed camaraderie. Also, like it was a distributed team. We had three locations: one in Arizona, one in Minnesota, and one in Pennsylvania. And it was a great way for kind of people to connect on that as well. And so, I've always kind of taken that. Like every role I've had, I've always done like a daily email. It's called different things at at, um, at Figs. We I call it the Daily Dash. But it's, yeah, it's really a call out like top performers, people that are delivering like great customer experiences, both in quantitative metrics, also in qualitative metrics. It has some like fun pieces in there of like, you know, different random holidays that, that are going on that day, tips of the day of like a good way to like reinforce like good behaviors. We do like a fixed love of the day where we share like a really positive customer comment from the prior day. And it goes out every day. And I think it's like, you know, I, I try to make it entertaining. It's like my newsletter, but it's a really great way to like make sure people know how they're doing every single day on quantitative and qualitative metrics. That's one piece. And then like the other piece, the saying where I hire people with PhDs, uh, passionate, hungry, and driven. I always wanted to hire people that wanted to grow in their career and like push to be great. And like, you know, if they're asking me about like promotions in their interview, that's a good sign. And what has been the result of that is like also like putting in structure, putting structure in place where people have quantitative metrics where they can get to. They have a really clear career path on how they can grow within the team, but also like giving people the opportunity to have exposure outside of the organization. And, and that's resulted in, in dozens of people moving on to other roles in the company. So to the point where we have placed CX associates in almost every department except finance and technology. So we have people that design our clothes that used to be CX associates. We have people that work on our operations team, on supply chain, logistics, our EA team. Our site merchandising team is almost all CX associates, former CX associates. And it's really great because they take with them that appreciation for customers and for like what they love and what they don't love and just have like a really strong customer lens. And I think like those two things have like always been like things that I always wanted to see like really take off and it figs like they do. Um, they do really well. So it's it's really encouraging to see those pieces come to fruition. Wow, that's cool. It seems like it would be great to have a rotation program where every employee has to come in and be part of, you know, the customer experience team yeah. until you can move on to your role. We have something like that. So every person who joins FIGS, regardless of what the role is, including executive, has to spend four hours with the customer experience team in their first months. They do one hour a week for their first four weeks. So we kind of do a little bit of that. Yeah. But ultimately, like, you know, 
everyone has someone in their department. I always, you know, kind of tell people, I'm like, if there's something you want to know about our customer experience team or about another department, inevitably you will find someone in your department who used to work in CX. So there's almost like a kind of a build-in rotational project there. Yeah, that's great. I also, I love the concept of the daily email. I want to hear, do you write this email every single day? Because I'm just thinking about <laughs> how much time it would take me to figure out, you know, an email like this every single day and think of something witty and, you know, what are the holidays? So is this you? Yeah. Wit is sadly not my, not my skill. It's a combination. So um, I have an analyst on my team who kind of pulls all the metric pieces together. Our quality and training manager does kind of like the tip of the day and stuff like that. You know, I try to do the commentary. I try to add in. It is also like a great way as the team has gotten bigger and bigger. Obviously, Slack's good, but it can get, you know, you can kind of lose updates in that thread very quickly. That's a great way to like ground everyone on like, you know, launches that are going on any kind of issues that are that we're working through around the organization and make sure everyone has um you know kind of the the focus on like the big the big initiatives. Yep, got it. So I want to shift over and hear a bit about metrics cuz you did mention in that email you have, you know, quantitative metrics in there to show how people are doing and qualitative things. But what metrics are, you know, like your north star that you look at every single day to see who's performing the best or, you know, if things are going really well? Yeah, so our North Star metrics, um, well, our single North Star metric in CX is customer satisfaction. So that's like the number one thing we look at. I value it because it's the thing that the customer gets to say whether they're satisfied or not. It's it's not like you know something that kind of internally you decide it is. And so yeah, I look at that every single day, every single person, every single channel. It also helps us determine like a little bit of like channel strategy. Um, but then we also look at it for individual ticket types. So it gives us a good opportunity to say like, hey, when customers contact us about returns or exchanges, here's their CSAT. When they contact us about lost orders, here's their CSAT. Restock requests, sizing questions, styling questions. And so you can get a really good idea of like, what are the types of interactions that customers are really, you know, find really valuable, really rewarding and when which ones they don't. It also kind of shows you maybe where your processes just don't work. And so like a great example is it's really hard to deliver high CSAT on where's my order tickets in part because there's not a ton you can do in those situations. If it's truly like kind of just in progress with the shipping carrier, you can't kind of like push it along. And so it's not a great one. There's other ones where you would think like maybe, you know, Lost Wars is a really good example where we have really high CSAT on Lost Wars because we take a really customer friendly approach to it. We make sure the customer is always really taken care of. And so, you know, it's, it can somewhat show you places where your processes are, are kind of like holding back your customer experience or maybe opportunities where you can kind of like highlight it a little bit better. So definitely CSATs. Um, but then, yeah, we look at all of the productivity measurements, um, you know, calls, chats, emails, um, text messages a day, um, quality assurance metrics um, for the individual CX team. It's a very metrics driven role. I think that's also like where my sales background makes it really what made it a really easy transition is because. Sales is extremely metrics-based. And so it just transitioned really easily from my prior experience. Yeah. Do you ever see any maybe like unintended consequences coming when you put metrics against something? Like I'm thinking about productivity. And it's like, yeah. hey, you're spending a lot of time with this person. Come on. You need to like hurry up. And yeah. then you're like, oh, wait, maybe that's actually like, I don't want you to be that productive. You need to actually help the person. Like, how do you avoid that? Yeah. That's that's always the one that people will get brought up like. Handle time used to be the thing. We don't really, we don't ever report on handle. I couldn't tell you outside of like the monthly forecasting updates that I do. I don't really look at handle time. There is an opportunity for people to feel pressure to do more, but I think like those individual interactions aren't what make or break it. Like in my whole career, I've never seen a 40 minute call or a 24 minute chat or like an email that took three, three times as long to write 
be the reason that someone isn't able to hit quality metrics or sorry, able to hit productivity metrics. Oftentimes it's like efficiency things. It's like their setup. It's like how much they're using um, their applications correctly. Um, there are some, and I think like this is the other part where I kind of steal from my background is like, I'm not a great salesperson. Like I was never the best. Weren't you in sales like your whole life? <laughs> I was, but I wasn't, I'm not persuasive. I don't consider, I'm actually okay. like taking a course on negotiating right now. Cause I'm just like, I feel like I really got to like brush up on this. <laughs> Um, but I was really good at process. So I always felt like I had really good tracking systems. I had really, um, really clear workflows to deliver the outcomes that I wanted. And I think like CX is very similar on the productivity standpoint, as long as you have those processes in place. And also kind of makes me a very process oriented person. And I think that also helps in CX as the team gets really, really bigger. You don't want to have all of these like disparate processes going on. And like this one customer gets this, but this other customer gets that. Like obviously you you want to have some discretion and we do for the associates, but as much as you can try to bring those things together, we, we do. I think actually like probably on the, on the metric side, it's, it's much more of a balance of like CSAT and like quality metrics. Like you could have the highest CSAT in the world if you just gave every single person a refund and gave them all 100% discount codes and like that. Yeah, we're going to love you. That's really not like what you want from, our, from probably a commercial standpoint. Um, and so having the right metrics in place to balance those and make sure that you're consistently and accurately delivering the customer experience that you've designed is, is also like a good check against those. So there are some things you're going to accept that um, there's a little bit of friction there. It's not exactly what the customer wants. There's policies in place that aren't exactly what they want. And as long as you kind of regularly review those, make sure those are still what you want from a company standpoint, you accept that maybe those are opportunities in the future that you'll look to improve. Yeah. And I'm guessing you guys are going and tracking certain events in history and saying, okay, customer satisfaction went up, but also we had these things going yes. on and to help kind of normalize like what it actually should be. Yeah. CSAT, NPS, customer info score, all that stuff, you know, you, you can kind of track it along like event histories, like if you have promos or sales or um, like weather delays around the country. Um, I worked in energy uh, for seven years across two different startups. And there are like events that happen in energy that really like shift, like, you know, I think you mentioned you're in Austin. I don't know if you're in Austin, or if you're in Texas when the big yep, power. I was. Yeah. <laughs> My CSAT was very low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That event happened in 2011 or 2012. I think it was 2011 in the summer and I won't, I won't forget it. And it's, you know, these, these events happen that you really can't control um, certainly like energy is like a, the probably worst case because it's you know, very much um, mother nature uh, says what you're going to, what you're going to do there. But yeah, you can kind of track those events and, and you're trying to like, obviously like make it as good as possible, but also like not beat yourself up if you do take some hit on certain metrics in those areas. I think also like trying to just pass that down to the associates and, and to everyone on the team and make sure that they're doing the best they can, but accept that, Hey, there are going to be some situations where, you know, where we're going to fall short of customer needs. Yeah. So when thinking about satisfaction, how do you go about crafting the right question to make sure you're getting the answer you want? Because that's such an interesting thing that, I mean, we experience it all the time when we run surveys to our audience and we try and figure out, you know, can they recall the brand well, or how are they liking this episode? And if you ask it the wrong way, you will not get any helpful information. <laughs> you're like, well, that quarter was kind of a waste. So we're still learning how to do it properly. But I mean, how do you think about asking a question that's actually going to give you a valuable answer that you can then implement into processes or product or whatever it may be? Yeah, that's a really good question. The underutilized tool that people don't use for like survey writing, marketing copy, ad copy are like actual customer quotes and customer language. 
So I always, you know, I kind of use this example, like if you had retail shops and you could just walk around with an iPhone recording every single conversation you had and then transcribe it, do a word cloud or something like that, you would quickly realize like how customers talk about your product or how they describe their issues or how they talk about fit or sizing in the exact terms that you really want to use in, in other places. So in surveys, in ad copy, in digital copy, because that is the stuff that, that really lands with people. And so whenever I'm you know, thinking about like how we ask questions in surveys or consumer insights, you know, oftentimes I, I look at like how customers describe that or that statement to us, or I'll ask our team, like, hey, when someone is describing like satisfaction to you, like what is it, like what is the term, what is it, what are the terms that they're using? Um, and really try to like adjust that, adjust it for that. So um, I think oftentimes like you can you can kind of get a little bit of your own echo chamber of like business speak and, and that like you're like, well, this is like intellectually or academically, like how you would describe like what this person's doing, but that's not how the customer understands it. And really like you want your questions to be the customer's language. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. Do you have any examples that come to mind where you're like, here's our question before and here's after? Um, I will give you a good example of like, you know, product feedback and, and how we've, okay. uh, how, we, how you kind of look for that. So oftentimes people will ask me about like, customer insights and like, how do you know that you're pulling proper feedback? Cause you know, CX is challenging because you have hundred thousand tickets a month and it's like, you know, millions of words. And like, how do you know what words people are having? Oftentimes I just tell people like the thing I go to is like, I, I have one-on-ones with every single associate on my team every single month. And I ask them to describe like how customers are describing things. And so you end up with terms. And so like a good example, if you have a fabric that you have described in these like certain terms that you want to communicate. Um, like for example, we have um, this recycled poly fabric that we rolled out that is really um, amazing for uh, dentists and for veterinarians because it uh, has DWR. So it, it repels water, it's anti-static. And what a lot of times customers will describe it as is like windbreaker material. And it's not like a, it's not always a negative term. It's just, it's how people describe that really light, really fluid, stretchy fabric that a lot of people like really like. And that's just so different than like, maybe like how you would describe a cotton or um, a blend fabric. And then you can kind of use those terms to go look in surveys, go look in different customer feedback channels um, to see like how much customers are describing that and really figure out like, Hey, is this like a positive sentiment? Is this a negative sentiment? And really try to, you know, you can try a couple of different pieces of survey language to see if like that's the that's the thing that that lands for them. Got it. Okay. That makes more sense now. So yeah. I'm sure you see a much higher response rate too when people understand like what you're asking them instead of, you know, like you mentioned, asking in the product exact name that they probably don't even know versus being like, Yeah, do you like that blue windbreaker material scrubs that you got? Let us know if it, you know, was waterproof enough or whatever, however they're actually talking about that. Yeah. Obviously, it's like a really disappointing thing when you run a survey and you're and you see the results and then you're constantly like, did they understand that the way that I I intended? And so you're trying to obviously like avoid that as much as you can. But yeah, it's really, I think, like being able to test those different 
questions and surveys. And as long as you don't feel like it, you know, if, it, if you see that higher response rate, you probably get a better sense that the person actually like knows what you're talking about. Eventually you find the, the language that lands for you. And whether it's your CSAT survey or MPS survey, customer effort score survey, you find the language that your customers use. And, and you know, ours is a really good example because most of, our, most of the people that buy our products are healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses. And so they have like a, they have a very specific terminology that they all use every single day. And so we can kind of like mirror a lot of that language. Like, for example, our email handle is stat at wherefigs.com. Uh-huh. I don't think any other brand would probably have stat at, but works really well for us. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. We, uh, when we ran a survey one time, I also realized how important the answers were to not make them tricky because we were asking, do you know who sponsors this show? And we put UPS, USPS, and then two uh, other. And then w- people, it was like 50-50 on those two. Like everyone knew it was one yeah. of those two. And then it wasn't FedEx or whatever. And we were like, oh, I think that was just a bad survey. We just need to redo that and not put trick questions in there because most people might not even know the difference between those two. Yeah. There's also that stuff where like people like shuffle questions yeah. and like a lot of people expect, you know, alphabetical or something mm-hmm. else. And yeah. It's like school again. You're like, I think someone's trying to trick me here. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of friction is good, but sometimes, yeah. you know, you you go too far or too little. So when it comes to the role of personalization, how do you think about that in the wider customer service or customer experience world? Yeah, the couple of things that like stand out to me about personalization is like one, being able to have streamlined processes in place so that you can deliver that. Like ideally what you want to be able to do is have your your 80% of situations be routine or or streamlined enough that it really allows for that like extra personalization on that 20%. So being able to see products that people purchased before, um, shipping experiences that people had before, how they shop with a discount code or don't shop with a discount code, being able to look at like what type of experiences those customers have and, and what they kind of expect from you going forward and, and being able to make you know kind of discretionary decisions on that. You know, so much in e-commerce can can be personalized based on um, some of their web browsing history, uh, but like really, once they come into the customer experience team, we have the whole we have the whole thing. Like we can see everything. We can see every product they've purchased, and we really like train the team to like try to speak to those specifics. Like we, our value to the organization is in part being a product expert. Like I, I often tell people, like. Working in CX, you have to be a mile wide and an inch deep. You have to know a little bit about everything, and and so arguably, like we can kind of speak to all these different aspects of our of our customer journey and, and our products and our web experience, and then being able to just like use those with customers to you know be able to pull out those insights and be able to pull out the feedback from them. Um, you know, some of our best associates, what what they do so exceptionally well in interactions is is take you know dead time on a simple uh, process. And use it to provide or grab more feedback from the customer. So asking them, like, what did you think of our recent release? Like, what made you buy this color? What made you buy that style? If we could create one product for you, what would be that product? So using that, like, 10 or 15 seconds of dead time to, like, pull insights, pull feedback from them. Also, that's how you end up, like, really in those really rich conversations where the customer is like, oh, wow, they actually, like, really listen to their customers. They really listen to us. I'm, I'm going to give them, like, everything that I wish that they would like make for us. And it's really like created some of our best ideas ever. And it's, it's shaped a lot of our product roadmap. So yeah, I think being able to like recognize the individual person, the individual buying habits, their prior journeys, their prior experiences, and then use it to you know, hopefully help the company become better um, is, is your ideal situation there. That's great. Do you ever find difficulty parsing that like unstructured data? If you know, one of your agents just like kind of goes all the way into left field, but you're like, that's it. 
helpful. However, we didn't even know to look for that question. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, so in part, that's like the qualitative side of it, like have the conversations with having the conversations with associates. We moderate 100% of customer feedback. So MPS surveys, product review surveys, shipping surveys. Um, and we have our, our tier two and tier three associates like do that moderation. And then they kind of build a report every single week. Then, then we like talk about like what they're seeing in there. And then it's really like, again, like using those trends that they're individually seeing in these individual channels and go look to see if it's like representative in the other channels. So yes, it can, it, sometimes it is anecdotal. Sometimes it is like, hey, there was these five really vocal customers and that sticks in my head. And this is what I'm going to tell Michael about in our next one-on-one. And then you go look at it and you're like, actually not representative of the rest of the group. And it's, you know, it's helpful, but not necessarily like something we're going to act on. But there's other ones where you're like, oh, wow, that unlocked like this whole area of uh, innovation that we didn't see before. Um, And so those get really exciting. So yeah, they can be rabbit holes. They can be like red herrings. But I think more than not, they end up helping you kind of go down a direction you want. Yeah. Okay. So when you hear these big insights from customers or maybe not insights, you have to kind of decide how do you go about partnering with, you know, the other executives within FIGS to be able to make sure this stuff actually gets actioned and that you guys are all partnering and moving in the same direction. Yeah. I think it starts first, like with, with everyone having that customer centric lens. I think like I've definitely worked in organizations where it being more product led or, um, or being more like sales led. Um, and that, you know, customer feedback was valued, but not necessarily like always actioned on. And I think the great thing about FIGS and the thing that I've found to be so rewarding is just how customer centric everyone in our organization is. So having that culture is like kind of the first thing. And then to having a consistent, trusted format for how you disseminate that. One-on-ones are obviously great. And I think like having, a, you know, particularly in my role, like having a great relationship with our, our chief product officer is super important because that's you know probably 90% of, of what we're hearing. Having a format for how you disseminate, that's really important. So, you know, whether you have a voice of the customer deck, and I, you know, had a couple of those over my career that have been really happy where you kind of have a slide for every single channel, trends, uh, takeaways. I do a weekly executive dashboard that goes to kind of our VP level and above that has like all of our customer insights on it. And so it's everything that we're hearing from the prior week. And like, like similar to my like daily dash, I, I really like use that as like a little bit of a newsletter. Like I, I want engagement on it. I want people to ask follow-up questions. Um, it's the qualitative and quantitative side. Um, and I think just like having that expectation where this is going to come out every single week here, here's the format of it. Here's the structure of it. If you want to add more things, we can add more things, but just like making sure that everyone knows that like this customer feedback is going to be shared. It's going to be actioned on. There are going to be individual takeaways for people. It's really important. And, so, and some things you like, you know, you you kind of track them over a time a, a period of time and and see like hey is this improving is this getting worse and other things are just like you know you really want to make sure everyone in the organization has that voice of the customer particularly in direct consumer e-commerce where you don't have retail you don't have um, other channels where maybe customer feedback is being heard as the CX leader it's like really incumbent on you to make sure that that voice of the customer is really shared throughout the organization and so it can be you know there's times where like all attach. Um, audio clips to it. There are times where I'll screenshot like the individual, and it's not like it's not like the screenshot does anything magical, but there's just something to seeing customer words that lands with people. Um, and so, like this is where having probably a, a little bit of marketing bend towards your experience helps because I, I that's kind of how I think about. It. I think about it as like how many people are going to open this, how many people are going to read on this. 
I don't have a click through rate, but like how many people are going to respond to it? Do you track your open rates? Oh, I should. Well, I don't know if I can actually. Oh, that'd be interesting. I definitely like go back and look at response rate. If I've not had like certain sections of it, like have questions in a while, I start to like question whether it's like valuable for people and like, how could I make it more valuable? So in one-on-ones or cross-functional conversations, I'll talk to people about that. But, but yeah, I think like my job in the organization is to be the voice of the customer to everyone who doesn't interact with the customer every day. I, you know, I feel lucky that I do. And just making sure that everyone is like very focused on like providing the best experience and the best product for healthcare professionals. Yeah, I love that. I also think what you were just talking about around kind of like marketing your work is a super important aspect that a lot of people, especially newer in their career, don't really think about doing. I mean, you get in there and you're working hard, grinding things out, and you don't really tell people and show them like, here's what I'm doing. Here's all the things behind the scenes. So I feel like that's actually just like a really brilliant thing to point out too, around like how you're making sure that people see the work you're doing and understanding from them, like, is this valuable or how can I adjust it to make sure that this email gets read every single day or every single week? Yeah. That's probably just like professional advice 101. It's like you do have to socialize some level of your experience. And like, I would love to tell you that that changes throughout your career. And I don't think it does. No. (laughs) Um, You still like there, there needs to be a format and obviously like it needs to be like an attractive, desirable format that people, you know, kind of consume your work and feel like, Hey, this is actually really adding value to my day and like helping me make, make better decisions. So yeah, like, you know, uh, I've seen a couple different formats out there for like a weekly newsletter. Um, Eli Weiss has a really good one that he oh, often, yeah. like will share he was on uh, our a template. Show. He's great. Yeah, he's great. He's got like a really pretty one. His is way prettier than mine. Um, I go more for like the quantitative side than necessarily like the, the beauty, but I've thought about changing that. Um, but yeah, I think having something that like speaks to your personal brand and your professional brand within your organization and like the value that you're providing to customers and then also to your peers it's super important. Yeah. Do you have any structure that you think about when building it? And when I say structure, I mean, I think whenever I have our team members sending out newsletters or whatever it might be, we always go by like that ADA structure, like attention, interest, desire, action. And how do you structure everything you send, whether it's an email, newsletter, a Slack message, like how do you position it in a way that people actually will respond to you and want to interact with you or help you? But is there any way that you think about formatting your newsletters? That's really good. I'm going to have to Google that because no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> what I actually do is probably more of like a test and iterate, meaning that um, I've been doing this for two years now. Every single week, I've probably missed like one or two weeks in over two years. But as people respond and ask more questions, it's basically like it just like changes the format or changes the order of everything. And so I kind of keep the most important stuff at the top and kind of let the stuff maybe below the fold if if you're a designer, yep. be less less there. So yeah, I think like, you know, I don't play around with like the fonts and the pictures and stuff like that. But I really like, I want people, because I think everyone's gonna have different, like if you're on the site merchandising team, you're gonna go look for a certain piece of information. If you're on the product team, you're gonna look for something else. If you're on the marketing team or the legal team, maybe you're gonna look at something else. So just having like a quick, easy way for people to go find what, they're, what they need um, is, is important for me. Like, I don't want to be the gatekeeper. Like this is always the thing I... I I kind of feel like when people come and ask me for individual data points, that is like a sign to me that I'm not socializing these things better. So I don't want to be a gatekeeper of anything. I want to, you know, give everyone access. And I try to, you know, we do new hire orientation for the company. And I really try to like emphasize with people, like anything you want to know about our customers. I think it's great. Like if you have a brand where customers feel like they listen, where you as a brand listen and you're trusted and 
you action their feedback, they will tell you more and more. It's like a, it's a, a virtuous cycle where as you act on their feedback more, they give you more and more feedback and it makes the business better and better and better. And so just, you know, making sure that everyone in the organization feels like they can get access to anything they want is, is really important. Yeah, that's great. So what is a top question or a theme? I mean, what do people care most about in your email? Uh, styling questions. Styling questions? Okay, like, like product questions. Yeah. Okay, got it. Product questions. Yep. Yeah. So if you don't have physical locations where people can see, touch, feel your product, you've got to communicate that in digital assets. Um, and so knowing like what types of questions customers are asking, um, whether it's sizing or styling or color comparisons, those things are super important. And, and obviously, like you just that's also what's great about a website. You can kind of continue to like iterate and make that better, uh, making sure that everyone's like really clear on like what questions do people have before they buy is, is really helpful. Yeah, that's good. So how many people are you hiring within your group? I mean, you have a lot of stuff going on. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Michael needs help with these newsletters, yeah. with all the work you all are doing. So how many roles do you have open? Um, I would say at this point, I think I have like, maybe like one or two. Okay. Um, so get in there quick, many. people. If you're interested, one or two roles going to go hot. <laughs> it's Q3. So, you know, I think probably like most companies, things start to change. But we have, I mean, around the organization, I think we have like 50, 67 year old. Our people team's probably going to kill me because they're going to be like, it's way more than that. Yeah. Plus, there's a plus sign at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Plus. Yeah. But, you know, I really, tr- and I think I have like really tried to hire from the team. Um, so like, Almost our whole management team were associates at one point. Our director was an associate at one point. It's kind of hypocritical for me to like ask other people in the organization to like hire out of CX and then not do it myself. But like flat out, like there's there's so many roles on 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 our management team within CX that there's like it wouldn't they would be really hard for them to join if they didn't have the associate lens. And there's just like so many that like you know our analyst, for example, like you know she has. She had no statistical or analytical experience prior. She was an she was an associate and then a tier two associate, but she like really understands customer feedback. She really understands like the motions of our team. She understands our systems, which when you're looking for data, like knowing the systems and how they're structured and like the different fields and tags and like that's actually really important. Yeah, knowing that's way more important than doing the actual coding yeah. or SQL or whatever. Like if you know those variables and you know where to find it, that's gold. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of tell people like. Being able to pull actionable insights for people in part is limited by the data architecture. Like you have to know like what the data team or whoever it's decided that what they've actually like called the individual fields. So if you're going to use your BI tool, but you don't know what the fields are called, like you're you're going to, you're not going to be able to pull what you want. You're not going to trust what you want. So that's where like having people that like know the systems and know the structure, it's super valuable. Yeah, that's great. Well, Michael, I always like to end it with one last question. What are you most excited about in the coming year? It can be at FIGS. It can be personally. It can be some things that you've got going on. But yeah, what are you most excited about? Oh, man, like so much. Well, yeah, I guess personally, I just moved back to Philadelphia. I was living in LA for the last seven years. I moved out there for a startup. Um, I'd worked at it for a long time. And and then ultimately, kind of like wanted to be closer to friends and family. So we just moved, uh, moved back to the Philadelphia area. So I'm really excited to be back closer to friends and family again. I think like the the professional side, like actually I'm like really excited. I mean, obviously this is like a really challenging time with a lot of the macro environment impacts, but I'm actually really excited to see like where uh, direct consumer e-commerce goes um, with the changes that happen with iOS 14 and and just like a lot of the shift in like how customers are acquired and like in, in the value that they bring. I think it actually just like raises the bar of like what what a brand or a company needs to do. So I'm actually like really excited to see like what comes out of 
you know, maybe some of maybe some of the, the pruning in our economy. So, yeah, I think it'll spark a lot of creativity. Yeah, I think so, too. Be good. All right. Well, Michael, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Where can people learn more about you and the work you're up to? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm on all the normal channels. So LinkedIn and Twitter are both Michael J. Bear or just, you know, shoot me an email, shoot me a DM. Um, I'm always happy to chat. Awesome. Thank you. listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.